Zechariah chapter 3. Got me now? Zechariah chapter 3, going to look at uh, the fourth vision of Zechariah. As he gets a glimpse into the heavenly court. But before we do, I know we're prayer needs, prayer concerns. We're celebrating the arrival of... All right, Zechariah chapter 3. Today we have seen that Zechariah is preaching uh, after the... After the remnant had come back from exile in Babylon, they had returned to Jerusalem. A small, a small uh, uh, remnant has come back, and they're still, even though they're back from exile, they're still struggling a little bit and uh, struggling to rebuild the temple, struggle, struggling to get the city rebuilt, and just battling off discouragement and the harassment from their energy enemies. And God has raised up two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to come and to, uh, to speak words of encouragement to them. God used Haggai to stir their hearts to begin the work of rebuilding the temple, and he raised up Zechariah to come alongside him to encourage them to persevere in that work. And so, uh, so Zechariah is called by God to give comforting words and encouraging words to the remnant that has come back to Jerusalem. And we've seen that... Uh, in the first part of Zechariah, those encouraging words come in the form of visions. God has allowed Zechariah to see uh, spiritual things that are normally invisible to the human eye. And in the first vision, he promised uh, uh, the restoration of his people. In the second vision, he promised the destruction of their enemies. In the third vision, he promised the rebuilding of the city, the prosperity of the city. It would be overflowing. And now he promises the restoration of the priesthood. And so uh, uh, in the fourth vision, we see the promise of the restoration of the priesthood. Zechariah chapter 3, verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head, and they put the clothes on him, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you will also judge my house, and likewise have charge of my courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your com companions who sit before you. For they are a wondrous, wondrous sign. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua... Upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that, land, in that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. And so the setting of this vision is a heavenly courtroom. Uh, uh, the, the, the angel shows 
Joshua shows Joshua shows Zechariah Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And so we see we're getting a glimpse into the into the heavenly the heavenly courtroom. This kind of reminds me of the first chapter of the book of Job. You remember when we talked about the book of Job, we saw that uh, the angels of the Lord came and presented themselves before God and Satan was also with them there to accuse and Satan was there not just to accuse Job but to accuse God and to accuse everybody on the whole earth. You remember, Satan presents himself with the angels of the Lord, and the Lord asks him, what have you been doing, Satan? And Satan says, oh, I've been wandering to and fro back along the earth. And it appears that Satan was walking around the earth looking to see if there was anybody in the whole world that served God because he's wonderful, because of who he is, because he's worthy of being worshipped and worthy of being served. And uh, Satan accuses God of just buying people off. And he says, there's nobody in the whole world that worships you just because you're great, just because you're glorious, just because you're worthy of worship. People just worship you because you give them things. They don't love the giver. They just love the gifts. And, uh, and so we saw that heavenly dispute, and God threw Job out there and said, Job is blameless. And Satan said, no, if you take Job's stuff away... Uh, you've blessed him. Of course, Job worships you because you've paid him so well. But if you remove your hedge and you take stuff away from him, he will curse you to his face. And the book of Job kind of plays out uh, the fact that Job did worship God simply because God was worthy of worship. And uh, even when he lost all the things, he continued to to worship God and did not sin in the things that he'd said. And so this is kind of the same event. Now we have Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan is standing at his right hand to oppose him. And, uh, uh, and what's the role of the high priest? Joshua, what's his role? To make atonement, yes. So the high priest is the one that makes the sacrifices, that offers the sacrifices on behalf of the people, that brings the sacrifices, and the high priest brings them into the Holy of Holies. Once the temple is completed, he will bring those high priests. So the high priest is to be a mediator between God and people, to, to represent the people before God and to represent God to the people. And he has the responsibility of offering the sacrifices to cover the sins of the people so that they may stand before God forgiven and cleansed of their iniquity. Uh, so that they might worship God in spirit and in truth. And so Joshua the high priest is standing there before the angel of the Lord. And we've seen the angel of the Lord before in, uh, uh, in Zechariah. Uh, we saw him in the first vision, and remember that the angel of the Lord is a special representative of the Lord that is distinct from the Lord, but yet speaks for him. Um, and when we looked at the first visions, I gave you some Old Testament passages that use this term. And, uh, and the angel of the Lord at times refers to the Lord in, in human form. And many people believe that the angel of the Lord is actually an appearance of the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, before the time that He came to the earth in the person of Christ Jesus. And, uh, and so the angel of the Lord is a very special representative of God that speaks for Him, that represents Him. Uh, and... Uh, uh, and so the, the uh, angel of the Lord is also present. And uh, who else is there? The, uh, yeah, the angel of the Lord, Joshua, and Satan. And actually in the original language, there's the definite article, the Satan. The Satan, the same way that it's referred to in, uh, in, uh, in Job. 
And so the Satan is here, and that word Satan actually means accuser. So the accuser, the Satan, is present. Um, And so we get a glimpse of this heavenly courtroom, and Satan is there ready to oppose Joshua. And so we get a glimpse. Joshua is standing before the angel Lord. Satan is standing at his right hand to oppose him. And uh, what happens to Satan, the Satan? Yeah, he is rebuked. Before he even, he's there ready to accuse Joshua. And before he even says anything, before he presents his case, before he announces the accusation, the Lord rebukes him. The Lord silences him. Before Satan can even open his mouth, the Lord rebukes him. He silences him before he even speaks. And it's very emphatic in verse 2. Notice the three-time repetition of the, repetition of the word Lord. The Lord said to thee, Satan. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. And so Satan is there ready to accuse Joshua. And the Lord silences him before he can make his accusation known. Uh, He is not even allowed to speak. And so we see in that heavenly court that the Lord is, is completely in control. He is completely and totally sovereign. Uh, Satan will not be allowed to oppose God's purposes. Not only that, he is not even allowed to speak. The Lord is in control. He will not allow the accusation. Uh, And another name for uh, the accuser is the devil, which means deceiver. So he's not going to be able, he's not going to be allowed to accuse, and he's not going to be allowed to deceive. And so the Lord silences the Satan. And then he says, is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And so Joshua is described as a a smoldering brand or a stick that's been plucked from the fire. He's been through the fire of God's discipline. He's been sent into exile. God has, uh, has delivered him. God has plucked him out of the fire before he could melt down and be destroyed. He's been pulled out of the fire, but he is still smoking, and he is still charred and, and, uh, and, and unclean from the experience of God's discipline. Joshua, as well as the people of Jerusalem, uh, brand plucked from the fire, gone through the fire of God's discipline, but now has been rescued, have been pulled out of the fire. And so, uh, so God uh, describes that uh, uh, his, his mercy as he has plucked them from the fire. And now the first thing that we see in this text is that the priesthood is reinstated. First vision, promised a restoration of God's people. The second vision, he promised a, uh, uh, the destruction of their enemies. And the third vision, he promised the rebuilding of the city, the prosperity of the city. And now he talks about the reinstatement of the priesthood. And Zechariah makes an observation in verse 3, Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the Lord. That word translated filthy, talks uh, the, the root of that word is things that have been uh, brought forth, and that word is used to describe things that are brought forth from the human body. Joshua is clothed in garments that are smeared with 
excrement, human excrement, or vomit is what this word means. Uh, and that's probably the grounds for the accusation that, 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 that Satan is going to make. This, this, this Joshua, Joshua is unclean. Joshua is filthy. He stinks. He is certainly unfit for service in the temple and for uh, the office of priests, representing the people before God and God before the people. He's clothed in these filthy, stinky, nasty, unclean, defiled garments. And uh, and and. There's a real problem. The condition of Joshua, the high priest, and that's representative of the people of God. They're filthy, they're unclean, they're defiled. They've returned from exile, they've been plucked out of the fire, and yet they are still guilty, they are still shameful. And the question is, how can a filthy, unclean, defiled, sinful people Stand before a holy God. How can Joshua stand before the angel of the Lord when he's clothed in filthy garments? And the answer is, of course, grace. The answer is grace. So Zechariah notices that Joshua's clothed with filthy garments and he's standing before the angel. And the angel answers and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away those filthy garments. Take away those filthy garments from him. And he says to Joshua, See, I've removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. And so the, Joshua is to be given new garments. He's, be, he's to be given clean clothes so that he may minister to the people and serve as a priest. And the replacement of his dirty clothes is symbolic of the inward cleansing that he will receive. Take away those filthy garments. And he said to them, see, I've removed your iniquity from you. And that those filthy garments will be replaced with rich robes. And so the outward changing of the garments represents the inward cleansing that God gives as a gift of his grace. And notice Joshua doesn't do anything to deserve this. Joshua doesn't do anything to deserve having those garments exchanged. Joshua doesn't do anything to, to deserve the cleansing, the restoration. It is simply a gift of God's sovereign grace and God's sovereign mercy. Both. Yeah, Joshua is representative of the people. I believe that, yes, Joshua himself is unclean, been plucked from the fire, but he is also representative of the people. But here he's representing the priest, the priesthood, representing himself. And so he is cleansed and reinstated to the priestly office. And, and, and Zechariah, Zechariah is carried away in the vision. He's watching this vision and he sees the, the, uh, uh, he hears the angel say, take away those filthy garments. That means I've cleansed your iniquity and put on new garments. And Zechariah gets excited and he says, and I said to them, well, don't just stop with garments. Put a clean turban on his head too. <laughs> and, uh, and guess what? They did. They put a clean. So, so Zechariah gets caught up in the vision and he, he's not content with just new clothes, but not, not just rich robes. So Zechariah himself sh shouts, let him put a clean turban on his head. And not only is he given new clothes, rich robes, but a new turban, which if you look in the uh, Leviticus and uh, Exodus, Leviticus and Numbers, uh, you know, that completes the outfit, the vestments of the high priest. And so uh, uh, 
So, so he is cleansed and reinstated to his priestly office. And again, God's mercy and God's grace. Joshua does nothing to deserve this. He's simply standing clothed in filthy garments before the presence of the Lord. And by God's grace, he cleanses him from his iniquity and restores him and reinstates him to his priestly office. He himself qualifies him. And, uh, and then the angel of the Lord issues a charge, admonishes Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways, and if you will keep my command, then you shall also judge my house, and likewise have charge over my courts. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. And so the cleansing was unconditional. Joshua did nothing. It was all grace. It was all the result of God's sovereign choice. But further blessing is dependent upon Joshua's obedience. Joshua is called to believe the Lord and trust Him with a faith that results, that demonstrates itself. The faith gives evidence to itself in his obedience as he walks in God's ways and obeys His commands. And so uh, uh, Joshua has been qualified by God for the priesthood. He's been cleansed. The priesthood has been reinstated, but now he is obligated to walk in obedience. If he fails to walk in obedience, then he might disqualify himself. He is to live according to the covenant, uh, to walk into God's ways, and then uh, he is also given responsibilities. And so the Lord says, if you walk in my ways and you keep my command, then you will fulfill the responsibilities of priesthood. Number one, you shall judge my house. If Joshua believes God and demonstrates his belief through his obedience, then he will be given three responsibilities. Number one, he would judge the house of the Lord. He would rule over the worship activities of the temple. He would govern the ministers of the sanctuary as high priest. And so uh, he, would be, uh, he would be the judge, making sure everything that happens in the sanctuary, that happens in the temple, happens according to God's plan, he would, he would govern over the ministers of the sanctuary. The priesthood was divided into 24 orders, and as the high priest, Joshua would rule over those other priests. Uh, uh, so he would judge the house of the Lord. Number two, he would have charge of the courts of the Lord, uh, and likewise have charge of my courts. And so Joshua would have the responsibility to keep the, 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 the temple, the the sanctuary, the holy place, the holy of holies, free from defilement. He would protect their purity and ensure that they were treated with reverence. And so he would uh, have charge over the courts, be responsible for the purity and the holiness and the reverence of the, of the temple. And then number three, I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. Number three, he would be admitted to the presence of the Lord. The high priest would be admitted to the Holy of Holies, the throne room of God. And uh, uh, he can only go into the Holy of Holies on, on one day, one day of the year, the Day of Atonement. Um, and in, in verse 9, I will remove the iniquity of the land in one day. And so on that one day, the Day of Atonement, the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies to, uh, to enter into the very presence of the Lord, the throne room of the Lord. Uh, he would be given access to direct communication with the Lord, just like the angels have there in the heavenly courtroom. I will give you places to walk among those who stand here. 
And so, uh, uh, important for us to note here that the cleansing was unconditional. The cleansing was unconditional, a gift of God's grace, but Joshua's service as a priest is conditional. He would be disqualified from service as a priest if he failed to obey the Lord and to walk in his ways. And so if Joshua is going to serve as the high priest, he must be faithful to the covenant. And so God gives him that condition. As long as you walk in my ways and you keep my commandments, you will judge over my house, you will have charge of my courts, and you will have access to my throne room uh, based on his obedience. And then fifth, we see that, or next, that we see that... uh, uh, so we've seen the, the priesthood restored. We've seen the qualifications of the priesthood. We've seen the responsibilities of the priesthood. And then number four, the priesthood is actually a sign of something more. Verse 8, Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, they are a wondrous sign. And so Joshua will be the high priest. He will serve over the orders of priests that work in the temple. Priests divided into 24 orders of priests, and they, they, they rotate responsibility in the sanctuary, in the temple uh, for, for, for two weeks. And these priests uh, would serve, and Joshua as the high priest would exercise authority over these 24 orders of priests. And these priests would be a sign. They would serve as a wonderful sign, an indication of something beyond themselves. And so the priesthood is not an end in itself, but it is a wondrous sign of something bigger and something better and something greater. He says, you are a wondrous sign. And they are the sign of the coming of a new servant that is called the branch. The priesthood will serve as a sign of the coming of a new servant, a branch. And the term servant is used of David 31 times. And so this is an indication of a, of a the, the priesthood is going to be a sign of a coming Davidic king, a, 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 a servant, the branch. And this refers to, uh, to a branch that would come forth from David. As the Lord promised through, Jer- through Isaiah and Jeremiah before the exile, God promised that He would bring forth a branch from the roots of Jesse, the father of David. Uh, look at Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of, its, of his roots. Keep your finger there. We're going to come back to verse 2 in a minute. But uh, the house of David there in, in Isaiah 11.1 1 is like a mighty tree, a huge tree that has been cut down so that only a stump remains. And as Judah was sent into exile, the son of David was removed from the throne. And so the house of David is like a mighty tree that has been cut down and there's only just a a little bitty stump that remains. But God promised through Isaiah that from that stump, a branch will come that will grow up into a great and mighty kingdom. And Jeremiah uses this image. Ezekiel uses this image. 
that this branch will grow into a mighty kingdom that will ultimately encompass all of the nations. If you want to do some further research, you can look at Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6 that talks about this branch. Ezekiel chapter 17 talks about the growth and the expansiveness of this branch that comes from the root of David. And so using that term servant uh, and, and the branch, putting those two words together, promises that this priesthood is going to be a sign of the coming Messiah, the coming King of David. And so not only is the priesthood being restored, but the promise is made of the restoration of the Davidic king, the, uh, the line of David. And so the kingdom of God will have very humble beginnings like a stump, but it will grow to encompass every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. And that kingdom will be ruled by a king that comes from the line of David. And this restored priesthood is a sign of that promise, the fulfillment of that promise. The priesthood is a wonderful sign. For hold, I'm bringing forth my servant, the branch. And, uh, and important to know here, Joshua's not the branch. The priests aren't the branch. But as they go about their priestly service, as they're restored to their priestly activity after the exile, after being plucked like a, a brand from the fire before it was destroyed and being clothed in clean garments, garments that sh that's a sign that God is faithful to His promises. And it's a sign that God will keep His promise and bring about this future Davidic king. And the king will not only serve as king, but he will also function as a great and glorious high priest. When this branch from David comes, the priesthood and the kingship will be merged into one person, the glorious high priest. The offices of priest and king will be merged into one great servant of the Lord. And so the priesthood is a sign of the coming of the Davidic king and the restoration of the line of David. And also this servant, this branch, is also called a stone. Verse 9, For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone were seven eyes, and behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. So this king will also, this branch, will also be a, a stone. And as I was looking at this, this this week, I thought, you know, this would be a really good place for the interpreting angel to come and tell us what this means. You know, so far we've had the interpreting angel and we've looked and the interpreting angel tells Jeremiah this is what it means. But now that we need the interpreting angel, he's silent. He doesn't tell us about the stone with seven eyes. And so, uh, 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 you know, we, we don't have the interpreting angel. He doesn't speak, but... I certainly have an opinion of what this, uh, what this means. Um, you know, so the interpreting angel doesn't give this interpretation. This is, this is simply me. I believe that the, the stone has a, a dual meaning as well. It's a, it's a cornerstone for the construction of the temple. Remember, what are they doing? They're rebuilding the temple. And, and so the priesthood is being restored and the cornerstone has been laid in the temple. And so it has immediate application to the people right then, right there. The stone is set before Zechariah, 
and Zach and and Joshua and Joshua will be the high priest serving over the orders of priests that serve in this new temple that will be completed. And so the cornerstone has been laid in the temple. And God is promising that uh, uh, that that building is going to be rebuilt and the priesthood is going to renew and restore its function and they will uh, the high priest will serve of the courts and atonement the day of atonement the sacrifices will again be restored and there will be uh, the day of atonement when the high priest goes into the holy of holies of the newly rebuilt temple and makes atonement for the sins of the people so there's an immediate fulfillment but i think we can also look forward uh, like we're studying the fourth chapter of Acts on Sunday morning. You remember, you remember the, the, in Peter's message before the council, he accused those council members. He says the stone that the builders have rejected, that's been rejected by you builders, has become the chief cornerstone. And, and there, uh, Peter is, is referring to the Old Testament text, you know, showing that this stone that they rejected, the Christ, the Messiah, God has made the chief cornerstone for the people of God, the keystone, the foundation stone, the rock on which the people of God, the new people of God will be built. And so there's a immediate fulfillment of the rebuilding of the temple, but there's also a, a future fulfillment with the coming of this Davidic king that will be the foundation stone for the new people of God. And then Peter will later, will later speak about the, uh, the chief cornerstone upon which all who ever come to him in repentance and faith are built. And Peter describes it in 1 Peter chapter 2 as living stones built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So there's a immediate fulfillment of the rebuilding of the temple, the cornerstone of the temple, but also the future fulfillment of the laying of the cornerstone for the new people of God. All who come to this stone, this Davidic king, this branch from the root of David in repentance and faith will be living stones built onto the uh, foundation of the key cornerstone into the new people of God, a new spiritual house. And so that's that's what I understand to be about the stone. Well, what about the stone having seven eyes? The stone has seven eyes. Well, uh, uh, you know, we, we looked at the, the message of the branch from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And maybe these seven eyes speak of Isaiah 11, 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon the branch that grows out of the root of Jesse. And so... Isaiah 11.1 1 talks about the rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch will grow out of it. And then in verse 2, he lists the sevenfold ministries of the Spirit. And so this branch will be a stone and, 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 and the Spirit of the Lord will bring about seven things. Number one, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The Spirit of the Lord will be God's presence with him. The Spirit of the Lord will come and remain upon him. And this will be the Spirit of... So, so it will be God's presence with him. Number two, it will be the Spirit of wisdom. Number three, the Spirit of understanding. Number two, number uh, four, the Spirit of counsel uh, and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so this stone, this branch of, of, of David 
We have the Spirit of the Lord upon Him. Wisdom, understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And so this, this stone will have the Spirit of God with these seven, sevenfold missions, ministries of the Spirit of God. Uh, wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, the fear of the Lord. And engraved upon this stone is an inscription that will forever remind the people that the Lord will remove the iniquity of the, of the people in a single day on a great and final day of atonement. And again, dual meaning. Immediately, the temple is going to be rebuilt. The priesthood is going to be restored. On the Day of Atonement, the high priest will go into the Holy of Holies and make atonement for the sins of the people. But on a future day, the great and glorious high priest, the branch from Jesse, will die on a cross and go into the heavenly Holy of Holies with his own blood and make the once and for all atonement for all who ever come to him in repentance and faith. And there will be that one day that the iniquity of the people is taken away. And so there will be a, a great and final day of atonement where the once for all sacrifice is made for all who believe, for every one of God's people, all that will ever come to Him in repentance and, repentance and faith. The stone that the builders rejected, the chief cornerstone, will make atonement for the sins of the people. And that will be a great and glorious day. And the Sovereign Lord of hosts declares it and promises it. In that day, says the Lord of hosts. And that will be a great and glorious day that will result in God's protection and provision. Verse 10. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, declared by the Sovereign Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. And so it will be a time of peace. It will be a time of prosperity. It will be a time of paradise. It will be a time of great community. Everyone will gather his neighbors underneath one vine and one fig tree. And in Zechariah's time, grape vines and fig trees were often planted together. And you know, the, the grapevine is a, is a creeping plant, and they would be planted so that the grapevine would actually go up the branch or the root or the, 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 the main trunk of the fig tree, they would grow together. And, and they would grow together because they produced their fruit at different times of the year. The grapes were produced at the warmer times of the year, and the, fig, uh, the figs would be produced in the cooler seasons. And so the combination of grapes and figs show the Lord's provision throughout the whole year. And they became symbolic for uh, protection and God's provision. The combination represents God's provision all through the year. And the vine and the figs provided for the family, provided shade, provided shelter, and also provided... Uh, food for the family uh, and provided overflowing so that people could show hospitality and invite their neighbors. And so everyone will invite his neighbor under his vine and under his fig tree. And, uh, and so the vision begins with the priest. And by extension, the, 
the, the, the people being unfit to stand before the Lord because of their sin and their filth. They've returned to Jerusalem, but they have not yet been washed from the filth of their sin and from the exile. But in His grace, God lovingly cleanses the high priest and clothes him in new and clean priestly garments. And that offers great hope to the people. As by extension, um, God will set them free. He will send a, a king that will cleanse them and offer them sanctification. And it uh, anticipates their own cleansing. And so there's the cleansing and, and the, uh, the command. If the people walk in the ways of the Lord and obey His commandments, they will have access to the presence of God in a new temple. And they will also have the sign of a coming servant, that God will send a new servant, the branch. And so this priesthood will anticipate the coming of the Messiah, a future Davidic king who will also serve as high priest. And his arrival will take away the sins of the people in a single day and will usher in a kingdom of peace and prosperity and paradise. And so this vision points to the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus the great high priest who offers his own body and his own blood to cleanse his people from their sin and to set them free from the filth and shame and also to silence the accusations of the accuser, the accusation to protect his people from the accusations of the Satan. And so the great high priest comes to take away the shame, to take away the filth, to silence the accuser, to actually crush the head of the accuser. And then God will raise this king from the dead to show that sacrifice was accepted and that the head of Satan, the head of the accuser, has been crushed. So by God's grace, we don't have to stand before God clothed in our righteousness, which is like filthy rags. By God's grace, through the cross of Jesus, we can be clothed in His perfect righteousness. We can be cleansed to serve God as a holy priesthood like Joshua, we're not cleansed because of our works. We're cleansed because of God's sovereign grace. But we are cleansed in order that we might be able to do good works. Once we're cleansed, we are commanded to serve. And once we're cleansed, the accusations of the Satan are silence. We don't need to feel insecure. We don't need to feel guilty. We don't need to feel ashamed. We must not let the accuser paralyze us and keep us from serving. Uh, every accusation that Satan can bring has been silenced for those who trust in Jesus, the servant, the branch, the accusations, the accuser is silent. And Jesus also gives us a restored relationship in the presence of God. He gives us hope of heaven, a hope of peace, prosperity, and paradise. In that day, says the Lord of hosts, everyone will invite his neighbor under his fig tree and under, under his vine and under his fig tree. So God gives, Jesus gives us a restored relationship in the presence of God and the hope of paradise. And he also gives us a responsibility to invite our neighbors to join us. Uh, the fig tree and the vine community and hospitality 
And because there is a promised peace and promised prosperity and promised paradise, we have a responsibility to invite our neighbors uh, to come and to turn to this great high priest who has offered the once and for all sacrifice for sin and new life for all who believe. And so in this vision, Zechariah sees the promise of a restored, reinstated priesthood. A priesthood that will be a sign of the coming of the Messiah. And when the Christ comes, those office of high priest and king will be merged into one. And we have a great and sympathetic high priest who is tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. And now he is able to help us when we are tempted. And he ever lives to intercede for us and to represent us before the Lord and to take away those garments of filth and to clothe us in the perfect righteousness of Christ. Questions about vision number four, the heavenly court. So uh, God is speaking words of comfort to those people who are harassed and unsettled and discouraged. Jerusalem's going to be restored. Your enemies are going to be restored. The city's going to be rebuilt. The temple's going to be rebuilt. And the priesthood will be reinstated. Let's pray together. Lord God, we're thankful for your grace toward us in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we're thankful that you have made provision for us. Lord, if we were to stand before you clothed in our deeds, our works, our efforts, that it would be as filthy rags. But we're thankful in your grace and mercy that you sent Jesus, who lived a sinless life, and then you laid upon him the iniquity of us all, so that we might, not, we might stand before you clothed in his perfect righteousness. We thank you for imputing the righteousness of Christ to all who believe, so that we may stand before you in clean garments and that we might worship you in spirit and truth, that we might have access to your throne of grace. And so, Lord, we give you praise for this plan of salvation. And, and God, we, we pray that you would help us as we seek to serve and as we seek to be your representatives, a, a kingdom of priests, a, a spiritual house, Lord, help us to, to be faithful, to speak the message of Jesus and to, to speak of, of forgiveness, the taking away of sin and shame and, and, and filth. And Lord, the, the giving of perfect righteousness by grace through faith in Jesus. And Lord, we look forward to that peace and that prosperity and paradise in your presence that is a gift of your grace through Christ Jesus our Lord. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to invite our neighbors to come to Jesus in repentance and faith and to also uh, to meet with us under the vine and under the fig tree in the presence of the Lord forever. Pray you find us faithful in that task and that you would be pleased to make it fruitful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.